0: Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her Podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen, and sometimes you have to fight for it. Hi, I'm Mira Davis, radio, TV, and podcast host.
1: And I'm Jen Jordan, and I was the victim of a conspiracy that alleged I was counting ballots in Pennsylvania on Election Day.
0: Oh my God. I I think I jumped the gun because I'm so excited to ask you a million questions. Now, if... You listen regularly. You know that we had a week off, and that's because you were exposed to COVID by Rudy Giuliani. Yes, I was. And I'm negative, by the way, but yes. So let's rewind. They decide they're going to have this hearing at the Georgia Gold Dome at the State House, And how do you get selected to represent the Georgia Democrats? So
1: let's set the scene. Basically, what had happened was that there were two committees that just announced they were going to have these committee hearings on election irregularities. Um, The first committee I'm on, and they uh, released an agenda. They had some elections officials on it. I went to that hearing. It was pretty much a nothing burger. Secretary of State answered questions very clearly. People from Fulton County were there. You know, everything was great, right? We're moving along. We break. There's supposed to be another hearing that starts at one o'clock. There was not an agenda released for that. There was just some broad statement about how they were just going to discuss Georgia's election law, something to the effect. And surprise, surprise, the entire Trump legal team shows up with OAN live streaming what then turned out to be Basically just this clown car presentation where they accused people of of stealing votes. They said the voting machines were hacked and some kind of Venezuelan Chavez kind of conspiracy. It was the craziest thing that I have ever been a part of.
0: You were there with Senator Atlanta Parent asking questions and you were in a situation where you debunked someone who claimed to vote in basically like less than 60 seconds. And that that kind of went a little bit viral.
1: And so then my question is, if these were extras that were just trucked in, right, somebody just brought them in, um, then you would expect then that the number of ballots would exceed the number of registered voters who had requested absentee ballots and or who had voted in person, correct?
2: Um, it, underneath the, you know, within the margin of error. the okay. um, we, We've seen, again, not, I haven't seen in Georgia, so I can't testify to that, but we've seen in other places where um, ballots were segregated, separated, and um, discarded, or not, not counted, and then other ballots were injected, and those were um, by... Affidavits that uh, have been uh, acquired by the uh, all the legal teams,
1: and so, for example, in Georgia, Sen- you Sen- don't Senator know. Jordan, just one if get, more,
2: if yeah, I was going to say, one just one more question.
1: So, sitting here, y- you you don't know that the fact that the number of ballots cast actually matched the number of registered voters that requested absentee ballots and then cast the absentee ballots and or appeared in person to cast ballots, correct?
2: That's correct. Okay.
1: So this is what I realized as I was sitting there. People really just don't know the law. They don't know elections procedures. And I don't even know if they want to ask or try to find out. It's almost like they just want whatever belief they have just to be reinforced. And, you know, that's really problematic because Trump, his legal strike team, which was pretty god-awful, I have to say. They're taking advantage of that. They are taking advantage of people who who want to believe something went wrong, something bad happened, because otherwise Trump would have won. And really, it is—I mean—it's hurting us. It is corrosive to our democracy. And what I'm concerned about is that somebody's going to get hurt because there have been death threats um, from the Secretary of State, the Governor on down, and even Senator Parent and I received some of those, which
0: is. So insane. There's a photo of you and Senator Parent, and Giuliani is in your face. It looks like he's having a pleasant conversation with with you both. What was really going on there?
1: So go figure that the mayor is going to take the first opportunity on the first break to come and approach the only women in the room. He was very happy to come talk to us and, and went straight into compliments and how great we were and, you know, just... It was just the weirdest thing ever. And all I could think to myself is, I'm clearly not doing my job if he thinks this is the most pleasant experience he has ever had. And you said this to me
0: on the phone, uh, but I want you to repeat it. You had a mask on to mask your resting bitch face while that was going on.
1: Holy camole. I mean, I was like, I cannot believe this guy. He doesn't have on a mask. He's getting all up in our face. He's wanting to touch us. He's like leans into me to to shake my hand. And I like jump back as if, you know, he had the cooties, which apparently he did. So it's one of those things where it really was probably one of the most surreal, bizarre days that, that I have ever experienced. And then all the fallout from it was even crazier.
0: And that was, people were accusing you and Senator Parent of counting ballots. There was a photo of these two blonde women, which we now learn was taken in Pennsylvania, that you two were, which... I found this so funny, this conspiracy, because we've spent a lot of time together over the past couple of weeks, and you're leaving the house is very limited, number one. I tweeted this out that it would require you to put on real pants, which is something you and I don't like to do through this pandemic. And- Number three, it's this is insanity. Of course it's not true. Well,
1: what's what's nuts is it started with that it was Elena and I at State Farm Arena. Because, you know, that whole conspiracy of, of black suitcases of ballots being stolen and all this <laughs> crazy, crack crazy stuff, right? So it started as that. Then I quickly, with the help of a friend, debunked that because we found like, a USA Today story with these women pictured in a video from counting from Pennsylvania. So then it then twisted into, oh, you and Elena were in Pennsylvania on election day counting ballots. And I, I just was like, I don't even know what to do with this.
0: Well, then the Twitter just nightmare started happening and I got a little taste of it. I mean, I'm sure it's nowhere near to... What you've experienced and Elena has experienced, but you guys were on Don Lemon on CNN and I was all excited, you know, because I'm your unofficial publicist and of course I'm texting uh, Jen. Make sure you p- plug the podcast, <laughs> but I took a screenshot of the appearance and uh, like thanks, you know, Senator Jordan, Senator Parent for speaking up for what's right on CNN Go, you know, you go girls. And um I turned off the phone and I went to bed. And then I woke up in the morning.
1: And man, the 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 troll orama had arrived. It
0: was something. Now uh, this has happened to me before. I've had tweets that have gone a little bit viral and I I but this was just um and 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 Jen, you've mentioned this before about accounts that have started in November 2020, they're all new and it's usually a name followed by a series of numbers. That is a good indication that it's this is like a fake person or a bot somewhere.
1: Well, and you look at how many followers they are, you look at kind of their their Twitter history. There's also a good um, thing called Bot Sentinel that you can run certain uh, Twitter handles through. And they analyze the Twitter behavior to determine what does this look like something that's being triggered by an algorithm? You know, is this Russia or whatever? Or is this a real person? And so if you do have questions, that's a good thing to do. But these were pretty easy to suss out because most of them were started in November of 2020 and all they were focused on were conspiracy theories and really trying to divide people in this country. Right.
0: So I always like to engage somebody because I have made friends on Twitter who have hated me and it said something nasty to me. And then I can hone in on one thing that we can agree on, whether it be music or food or something. And one guy was wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt in his with profile the, pic with the Braves hat too. A Braves hat, hugging a girl. Yeah. Looked like a nice guy, right? And he said in his response to that about you and Elena, oh, wow, it's a good thing they keep their masks on. And, you know, teehee. And I I basically said, and then I looked, I saw it was a Grateful Dead song. And I, I said, I hope no one calls the women in your life ugly today. Um, and then I gave a Grateful Dead uh, quote and then called it a day. And then he came back to me and was ruder and meaner and meaner. And then I went back and I said, what's your favorite Grateful Dead song? And he said, we're Republicans. We don't don't like the Grateful Dead, which is hilarious, Jen, because the the Grateful Dead has this appeal in this weird way, the way Dolly Parton does. All walks of life like the dead. Like Ann Coulter is a huge Grateful Dead fan. It's a bipartisan love. Yes. And when... um. I said, you're wearing the t-shirt in the profile pic. Never responded. Yeah, he was a troll. <laughs> but I felt so good about it. I was like, uh, okay. But it's scary. And I'm well, sure
1: it's a lot scarier for you. What was crazy is that like, I woke up, I think it was Saturday morning when it really hit, and Herschel Walker is sharing this conspiracy theory to all of his followers and let me tell you something as a damn good dog UGA grad Herschel Walker in my wildest dreams to the idea that he would be complicit in spreading a conspiracy theory about me my first dog was named Herschel I was just like devastated
0: that's really sad he's gone over to the other side of scary and that's I want to switch topic because while well, we talk about scary or horror show, uh, let's talk about the Georgia runoff debates. Dun dun. Okay, so we start off with Ossoff, who debated an empty podium, and even people on Fox News were saying how stupid this was. Greg Kilmeade got on. Or, oh, I'm sorry, Brian Kilmeade. I get the confused with Greg Gutfield. They're basically they all morph into the same person. But talking about how that was really stupid to kind of give your opponent the entire time uh, to himself. That was a dumb move.
2: I don't know what Senator David Perdue, Steve, was thinking uh, sitting out yesterday. Uh, He he won by 88,000 last time. Why give your opponent all that free air time to beat you up?
1: It was like an infomercial. I mean, and also because people were paying attention to it nationally, I mean, it probably got even more eyes on it than than normal. I mean, look, Alsop did a great job. And basically, he was able to say what he needed to say to deliver the message and really kind of frame why Purdue wasn't there. And basically, he said, you know, he doesn't want to be on the record with respect to his stock picks because they're being investigated.
0: They are, and I've gotten a kick out of at the Purdue campaign events there's someone dressing up in a chicken outfit, uh, uh.
1: <laughs>
0: and then Kyung la from CNN did a great story. I want to play just a little bit of audio from that. Of literally, she followed that that jean jacket bus all over the state trying to get an interview, and it just wasn't going to happen. Senator, Senator, Senator Purdue, Senator. Perdue's staff told us he would not take any questions. <laughs> That was stop one at the senator's bus tour. At stop two, Senator Perdue delivered his planned speech, and I talked to a staffer.
1: Excuse me. Hey, um, I'm with CNN, and uh, could we just get a couple of minutes with the the senator?
0: Perdue took pictures, and then...
2: Senator? 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 Hi, Senator.
1: Senator? Senator, I'm Young Law from CNN. Hey, hey, why won't you debate, Senator?
0: If you're a Republican strategist, who's telling him to not talk to anybody? Who's saying that this is good advice?
1: Look, the only reason not to show up and the only reason that your advisors would be telling you to do that is if they were worried about what you might say. And that should worry all of us that this man who is a United States senator who has been for six years, that his strategists don't even trust him enough not to pop off in the middle of a debate in a way that could hurt him. Okay, moving on to the
0: Leffler warnock debate, which the one common thread, Jen, was it, well, first everybody talked about how Senator Leffler came off like a robot. I mean, and It there was just felt nothing human or redeem, you know. And I don't care for her, but I do think you know. Sometimes you know you can come off or say something, whatever. And uh, but her performance was it was like an android.
1: It was bizarre. Like I think I tweeted that it felt like political Westworld, but that there was a glitch. Like the she just kept repeating it, repeating it. But at
0: least Westworld, those robots are like hot and sexy and fun. (laughs) You know this. Not all of them. uh, True.
2: True my opponent, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Radical liberal, 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 radical
0: liberal, radical liberal, radical liberal. So is this something that could benefit her
1: in the end because you just say something enough times where where it works? Look, I think that's their whole play. I mean, if you sit here and watch television for any period of time, oh, my gosh. January 5th cannot come soon enough. It is repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. And I think that, look, what the studies have shown in terms of disinformation campaigns is that anytime you repeat it, even if people think that it's not true, it gains more credence. And so I think that's all they're doing. They're just repeating the same thing over and over and over and then saying it must be true. And, you know, the Reverend isn't coming out vociferously against it, ergo, he must be. A lot of people saying, me included, I don't think Warnock was
0: on fire. You know, I thought he had some nice moments, especially when he said, the people have spoken. I think that was really good. As we know, Purdue and Leffler are still trying to debunk this election. I mean, they're going against their governor, their secretary of state, their attorney general. Uh, but, um,
1: you know, there's, but so uh, how did you think Warnock did? Look, I thought he was solid. I know some people were disappointed that he did not come out fighting hard against Leffler's ridiculous statements. But I do think that he is trying to have a different campaign. I think we've seen that with his ads, with the puppies, and really trying to say, look, I want to stay focused on the issues Leffler, all she wants to do is be negative. And I guess that, you know, when he's in the middle of a debate, he was sticking to really what he wants his campaign to be, which is really more about issues and not necessarily just responding to her negative claptrap.
2: I think a good sign of what someone will do in office is what they were doing before they ever went into office. And I've spent my whole career standing up for ordinary people, uh, trying to, in fact, we had a job center in my church contrary to what Senator Leffler is trying to suggest. And uh, I have uh, stood up for ordinary workers time and time again. You know, during this pandemic, we call people essential workers. We ought to pay them an essential wage. And we ought to provide small business owners like her the assistance and the support that they need. Uh, Kelly Leffler is out of touch. She's thinking about people who are like her, And uh, I'm, I'm okay with the fact that she wants to make money. I just think you shouldn't use the people's seat to enrich yourself. You ought to use the people's seat to represent the people.
0: Our guest today is Tia Mitchell, and she is the AJC's Washington correspondent. And she writes about Georgia's congressional delegation, campaigns, elections, and the D.C. decisions that impact us all. She went to Florida A&M. She's worked in Florida. She's originally from Louisville, Kentucky, and she's on the political task force for the National Association of Black Journalists. Tia, welcome to the Vote Her podcast. How are you?
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Since you're on the Hill all the time, Can you walk us through uh, what an average day is normally like for you pre-pandemic, post-pandemic?
3: That's exactly what I was going to say. There definitely is a difference uh, between pre- and post-pandemic because pre-pandemic, I was at the U.S. Capitol every day. That's where I work. People would say, where's your office? And I would say, I don't have an office. I go to the Capitol every day. And I had like a desk there that I was like home base But I spent all day at the Capitol. You know, we would go up to lawmakers and and interview them and things like that between votes. And now I go to the Capitol much less frequently, even though it is starting to pick back up. But I'm talking about once a week, maybe once every other week, and, and of course, there's, you know, stickers on the floor telling us where to stand and social distancing, and everyone's in masks, so it's harder to figure out. <laughs> I already was having a hard time learning, you know, all these new members of Congress um, because I'm relatively new to the job, and now everyone's in a mask, and I really don't know who people are, so that's been fun too, but, you know, so it's definitely a lot different, and of course, working more from home, Have you
0: had any question and answer with Marjorie Taylor Greene yet?
3: So not directly. During the campaign, I uh, would email her staff because I was still not traveling until, you know, the week before of the general election is when I finally got back down to Atlanta. So for most of the campaign, remember, it was competitive for her during the primary and the runoff. By the time it got to the general election campaign, she was uh, floating and she was helping Kelly Leffler. So um, mostly it was by email. She was responsive before the primary and the runoffs. She became much less responsive after the runoffs. I did meet her and introduce myself to her at a campaign event with Senator Leffler right before the general election. But it's funny, someone was like, no, 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 she's not taking questions. I was like, thank you for that. I didn't ask her a question. I'm introducing myself as a reporter that's going to be covering her in Washington. Thank you for your help and no thank you. So, um, But that being said, now that she's in orientation and learning her way around Washington, you know, I'm not gonna say they're non-responsive because I do have an open line of communication with uh, her spokesman. They respond, but not always helpful. And I have not yet, long way to answer your question, I have not yet really had a sit down with her because again, she's just in orientation. She doesn't get sworn in until January 3rd.
1: So what I'm interested in is if her, you know, how she's talked about Congress, how she's talked about the speaker and other various members, if that's going to change now that she's a member of Congress. I mean, do you th- do you think that once you're up there and you kind of feel the seriousness of the role that you feel and you get to know people on more of a personal level too, I mean, do you think that's going to change her approach at all?
3: So You know, I think in general, Marjorie Taylor's brand is conspiracy theories, Trumpism, and like super conservatism. I do not think that's going to change. That being said, I think that, you know, she called... House Speaker Pelosi, the B word on election night um, after the runoff.
1: That's not going to get you you a very good office space. Yeah,
3: that. And I mean, quite frankly, her office space was by lottery. um, And I don't know if she pulled a good number or not. But, you know, like, generally speaking, now that she is a member of Congress, that kind of stuff can get you censured. You know what I mean? And that kind of stuff is probably more trouble than it's worth. So, you know. I do think that Marjorie Taylor Greene has some decisions to make because her brand is built on outsider status and now she is an insider, whether she likes it or not. And so, um, I, it's so funny. I keep quoting, um, Reverend Warnock, you can't serve two masters Marjorie Taylor Greene. You can't serve Q
1: and the people of her district.
3: <laughs> well, you know, if she wants to be a good congresswoman and serve the people of her district, have good constituent services, bring home the bacon, get legislation, legislation done, which are what generally we think of as a good congress person, then you've got to play the game. You can't be ticking off the Democrats who control stuff if you want to get stuff done. But you also can't tick off the establishment Republicans who are part of the GOP coalition that you're now part of that caucus.
1: Yeah. So in talking about the runoffs now, too, what is kind of the talk in D.C.? Obviously, in Georgia, you know, different folks have you know different opinions on what's happening, or or is the momentum with Purdue and Loeffler, you know, how is the Trump thing, you know, impacting, or is or do Warnock and Ossoff and kind of have the wind at their back? I mean, are you hearing anything in terms of people's perceptions of, of the race down here?
3: I mean, I think perception and what they say publicly are two different things. And so um, I am not I'm going to focus on what they say publicly, because, you know, if anything that I know about politics is like even as someone in the media who's pretty plugged in I only know what people want me to know. And so that's a that's a good point. You know, so and I mean, Senator Jordan, you know, this like you guys, what you say publicly isn't always the full story because, you know, there's strategy and it's politics and it's, you know, there's always stuff going on behind the scenes. I preface that to say publicly, it's like the party line. So, if you're Republicans, I even spoke to because we're working on an article about that. And I even spoke to Susan Collins, who's very bipartisan, very moderate Republican. And even when I spoke to her, she was like, We cannot let those radical progressive liberals take over the US Senate. We can't do it. Purdue and Leffler got to win, you know, which, you know, and that's a moderate bipartisan Republican saying this. And then, of course, the Democrats are saying the other thing, you know, we've got to, control because if not McConnell's going to block everything Joe Biden wants to do and it's going to block coronavirus stimulus and block anything that's ever been good in this world that Joe Biden wants to do. And I think because this is it's so partisan because control of the Senate is at stake. And so each side is kind of digging in about the importance of winning and trying hard not to come across as they think they have it in the bag because they need voters to have a sense of urgency about it. That being said, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen some recent polling. It looks like Democrats are kind of in the driver's seat right now, but it's still early. Early voting hasn't started. Absentee ballots are just starting to trickle in. And again, I do think Democrats are up against this whole thought of divided government. And in theory, when you ask just regular people, not us political insidery people, but just regular people say divided government is good, it's checks and balances. But we know that also regular people get frustrated at partisan gridlock. So again, back to Reverend Warnock, which master are we gonna serve? Do we wanna get rid of partisan gridlock which means it's probably better to have Democrats in control of the House, Senate, and the president, because we know they'll work together and get stuff done. That's probably more attractive to you if you like what you think they're going to do, you know, those Democrats, progressives, even moderates. But then on the other side, it's like, do you want some checks and balances? Do you want the Senate to be able to say, hey, Joe Biden, you've gone too far left, bring it back to the center? again, that's probably going to be more attractive to you if you're more conservative or a Republican, or again, if you're worried that Democrats could take things too far left.
1: Well, it's funny about the divided government thing. I I wish that these folks uh, believed like that or believed that on the state level, because that's not how they voted in the past, obviously. So, um, but I think you're right. Like as a, I think people do like the idea of a check and balance. The problem is I think we've seen how McConnell's been in the last few years. And and he, you know, he plays hardball. I mean, there's no doubt about it. One question is this, and this is kind of steering away from the serious, which is who on the Hill is is much nicer than, than any of us would expect in terms of just your interactions with them?
3: So uh, it's funny you ask this. I was just um, yesterday kind of, as I waited to talk to senators, I was kind of tweeting my feelings in a joking way. And one of the tweets I put is like how they're very nice, but how much it still hurts when they're like, no, I don't want to answer your questions. Thank you so very much. But I don't have time. No, thank you. And I'm like, it still hurts. It cuts deep when they won't talk to me. And um I joke about that because I still am getting to know people. You know, it's funny. I really enjoyed, I sat down with Tom Graves when I was transitioning to the job with my predecessor, Tamar Hallerman. You know, she was introducing me to people and I really liked Tom Graves. I liked his vibe. I felt like he would keep it real. And then next thing I know he's retiring and I'm like, golly. And then I really enjoyed talking to Doug Collins. Now I feel like Doug Collins, he's, different one-on-one than he is when he's like being that fast talker on Fox News or at a hearing. Um, you know, Doug Collins didn't like to talk about this when he was running for Senate, but he has a lot of bipartisanship under his belt. Being Having that um, background in the armed forces means that he knows how to relate to different types of people, So again, I really like talking to Doug Collins. Well, guess what? He ain't coming back either. So, um, (laughs) you know, but I'm getting to know the members of the delegation. You know, uh, Senator Leffler started off, we all know, you know, she did not have a background in politics. She was not a good public speaker. She was also not even that good one-on-one, quite honestly. She was just too stiff and guarded, but she's getting better. And the last time I spoke to her, one-on-one. I was like, I see you, Senator Leffler Just, just know I see it getting better. And so, um, even, but again, she's different one-on-one than she is, you know, on stage or on Twitter talking about, you know, the lying media, you know, she doesn't say that to my face. So, but also I will say that I know Florida delegation members probably even better then I know Georgia delegation members because my entire career up until 2017 was in Florida. So yesterday I spoke to governor, well, Senator Scott. I covered him as Governor Scott. So he's like, How you doing, Tia? And I'm like, how you doing? How your wife? How your kids? You know, and like, but I'm still learning, people. If you're listening, delegation members and staff, let's do virtual coffee. I'm a I'm <laughs> fun. And I I'm fun. I, you know, I like to cover politics and I'm, you know, serious about my job, but I'm cool. Let's get to know each other. I believe
0: that just from hanging with you right now, who's (laughs) the most fun journalist? Like who do you want to like, would Manu Raju be a great guy to have a beer with?
3: So it's funny. I don't. It, I tweeted about Manu Raju yesterday, too, as part of my thread about being in my feelings, because I said I was talking about how hard it is to know who these senators are and how like I'm here on a wing in a Google image search prayer because I'm just like doing my best. And I tweeted like and meanwhile, I'm sitting right behind a veteran law, a veteran journalist who like knows everyone. And I'm so jealous. And I was tweeting about Manu, who was like right in front of me, just like kicking butt, you know, talking to all these senators, knew who everyone was, everyone knew who he is. I do not have it like that yet. You know, I'm trying to get on his level. It's been harder to meet fellow journalists because of the pandemic sending everyone home You know, I've met people and now I'm re-meeting people because we all look different with our masks on.
0: Well, you're going to get there because you're going to have that blockbuster story and
3: everybody's going to be looking for Tia on the hill. That's right. They're coming. (laughs) They're going to be looking for me and just seeking me out. (laughs) They want to be my friend. Uh,
1: Well, we want to be your friend. And listen, I really, really appreciate the work you do, especially in these difficult times and the coverage that you provide is, is critical. I mean, for, for the folks that are back here in Georgia. So I really appreciate it.
0: Well, and it's also refreshingly honest and there's no BS in it, which I can appreciate. Um, And that's why everybody should follow you. It's at TIA reports, T I a Reports. Because if you want to know anything that has to do with Georgia politics on the Hill, Tia, you are on top of it and unfiltered. Sometimes you don't give a F and I love it.
3: Well, thank you guys. I do. I might, I try to be authentic and that's because, you know, early on when I decided I wanted to be a political journalist, I realized that like, I don't, I don't blend in with the boys in the room, which are mostly white men. You know what I mean? So I can't play that game. I have to just be myself. And, and so I've always been like that. And I also think that like, sometimes it used to frustrate me. So you all know political journalists, we can have egos again, and it's a field that's dominated by white men that cover mostly white men, you know? And so I used to get frustrated because I would see the egos in political journalism, but I would see there was like hierarchy. And it's like, you, you're, you're very polite towards certain people. And then you treat other people not so nice. And again, as a white man can get away with that. And I don't want to be that person regardless, but sometimes I felt that certain journalists could get away with this kind of brash sarcastic brand that just doesn't work well with women doesn't work well with minorities and so I say I'm just gonna be myself and treat everyone just like you can be a senator, you can be the janitor and I'm gonna treat you the same way love that. And that's kind of my approach and my Twitter feed I'm like you know what that's my feed it preceded the AJC I'm gonna take it with me when if and when I ever am no longer reporter for the AJC. So um, I'm going to still tweet about other stuff and not just the AJC. And so hopefully I don't frustrate people by being random too often. But um, it's just it's just to look at who I am. And I'm more than just a political reporter.
0: Well, we're thrilled to have you and we're thrilled to read about whatever that big story you're working on coming up in the AJC that you teach a little bit so we will be on the lookout for that Tia thanks so much for joining yeah, us really thank you really
3: appreciate. thank it. you all for having me I really appreciate it this was fun well that was
0: really cool I really can respect Tia's honesty because that is not easy being the new uh, gal on the block
1: yeah especially in DC I think it's it, I think it's a really hard gig but look I think she's going to be great I mean she's already doing great work and you know, especially in such a really difficult time.
0: Meanwhile, I, I was very intrigued her talking about Doug Collins because I've said that before. Where I f- I find as even though he seems like s- crazy, <laughs> uh, uh, there have been times when when he was in the Leffler debate. The first one, when they had all the people there, I found him. Remember, I talked about it. I was like, he's kind of likable. Can you imagine if it was Doug Collins debating uh, Warnock?
1: It would be incredibly interesting. I will tell you this, though, that at the state level, and he, he served in the House before I got to the Senate, but people who served with him, Democrats, liked him. They said that he was someone who would work across the aisle and who was super reasonable and nice. And all of that is completely out of step with this person that we see on Fox News. And, you know, the worry is, you know, who is the real Doug Collins?
0: Well, it's really all about money and power. And uh, this is, you know, what you're seeing now with the governor Governor Kemp being dragged, just, you know, you you talk about the death threats and insults that you've had to endure.
1: Nothing compared to the secretary of state, the governor, um, and on down. I mean, it is, people have, people have got to just stop this. This is crazy. Well, the one that really got me was, uh, Jocelyn Benson.
0: Was she? The secretary of state in Michigan. And, um, I, I really wonder about this because remember when, like, Sarah Huckabee Sanders went to a farm-to-table restaurant and they asked her to leave and people were outraged about that?
1: Look, it's, it's the outrage machine that they get going. Okay, so then you have that.
0: Remember when Rand Paul left the speech at the RNC and protesters were shouting him, at him on the street and people were out of control? How can you yell at Rand Paul? This is a public place he was in, walking down the street. You're sort of a target. But this woman was hanging up Christmas decorations with her four year old at her home when armed protesters showed up at her home on a Saturday night and literally crickets from these people who are upset at uh, this cancel
1: culture or, I, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty outrageous. Well, what's outrageous about it, especially in Michigan, we know that the militia up there had planned to kidnap and and try Gretchen Whitmer for treason and then carry out some kind of punishment. I mean, it is, it's outrageous. And, and really what's interesting is the focus on, women that are elected officials. I mean, it really does seem that a lot of these militia groups or a lot of these trolls online go after women specifically, you know, and I think they're trying to scare them.
0: Well, they're trying to scare you too. You've gotten some really good hate mail. Do you want to do like a Jimmy Kimmel uh, read? (laughs) People are talking about your hair. They're talking about your face. Uh, They're calling you Karen.
1: (laughs) You have so a- so i've got a couple this was from a guy who talking about the crazy conspiracy theory about me and elena counting votes somewhere and they said i was going to go to prison and he says just make sure you have a lot of money in commissary so you can pick your prison wife <laughs> <laughs> that was interesting um you know in just a lot of all caps. I mean, this one was pretty serious. What's up, you miserable, corrupt POS. I hope you die a horrible, painful death. I mean, y'all, at least, this is just, it is just nuts i mean i got accused of committing treason i'm disgusting oh this was a great email i'm sorry to laugh
0: at that one i mean i'm i'm really just that that hearty laugh was you finding a prison wife because that's an amazing visual for me personally just in a jokey way
1: well my husband asked me what i wanted for christmas and i said well you better get me some smokes so i can get a better prison wife obviously so this was a funny one And there are a lot of women that are sending these emails, which is nutty buddy to me because I'm like, I don't have time to do anything, much less randomly threaten or say something really mean to an elected official. So this one lady, in all caps, just so you know, your reputation, this was after the hearing, has suffered today across America and the world. You are being referred to as, quote, Karen 2. Karen 1 is Senator Parent. (laughs) I'm like, I can't even be Karen 1, for God's sakes. So, you know, people have got to understand that elected officials are real people. They have families. We can disagree about policy, but at the end of the day, you can't do this. This is not what we do in a civil society and this kind of stuff it doesn't scare people it doesn't scare me it, it pisses me off and it makes me think that really what I'm doing I must be doing something right well it it It's
0: great that you have that attitude and you have to kind of laugh it off like we are, but it it, it does cut through your soul a little bit when you, I mean, just as we've been sitting here recording, Jen just said, oh, look, look at, I just got 30 emails in one minute.
1: Yeah. I think I've gotten a thousand this morning from people who apparently think that, we should cede our sovereignty to Texas and basically overturn an entire election because their feelings are hurt that Trump didn't get reelected. It's
0: unbelievable. Okay, couple of notes here. Want to say hi to Marcus Flowers. Marcus is our biggest fan and listener. He tweets me every week and you, Jen. Very excited about listening to the Vote Her podcast. By the way, I love a fan and I love anybody who reports back on their listenership. We're in a pandemic. Every little thing goes a long way for me. So Marcus, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, we love it. Thanks, Marcus.
0: By the way, you can always reach out to her, Vote Her Podcast at gmail.com. We absolutely love the feedback. If you're going to tweet at Senator Jen, please don't talk about a prison wife. And if you're going to talk about a prison wife, make it funny. And tweet at Mara, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Christina Loringer, uh, for always doing a great job editing and producing this podcast. We will talk to you again next time.